morning. How are we doing today? Great. I like to hear great. You guys look great. Can I just tell you that? You look you look fantastic. Uh, everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving? You ate plenty? Turkey, right? Stuffing. Right? Stuffed yourself with stuffing, right? right? We had a good Thanksgiving. It was it was really nice. Uh, Thanksgiving always overshadows, though, another big day that happened last week. Big celebration. Anybody know what that might have been? Wednesday? Oh, no, it's not Black Friday. No, 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 no. Anybody? How about Wednesday? Wednesday was National Espresso Day. Right? I like espresso. What can I say? But now, now we are just... 28 days away from Christmas, right? Just 28 shopping days left. Has anyone started their shopping, their Christmas shopping? Has anyone done? Has anyone not even started yet? Okay. Amazon Prime, that's all I got to say, right? Does anybody not do any Christmas shopping at all? Yeah. Thank God for my wife. Thank God for many wives, it appears, because uh, they take care of most of that. But it's interesting because at 28 days and counting, children everywhere, and some adults too, are eagerly anticipating that day that Santa Claus comes. They're making their lists, and they can't wait to hit the mall, sit on Santa's lap, and just Tell them what they want. You see the excitement in their eyes as they look forward to this glorious day. And parents, you know that Christmas Eve is probably the only night you can convince your children to go to bed. Right? Because if you don't go to sleep, Santa won't come. Does that still work? Yeah, it worked for my kids. So this is a season of great anticipation. And it's not because Santa's coming with a big bag of toys, no. We saw when this candle was lit here this morning, it is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, they did explain fairly well what Advent is, but for those of you who are not familiar, I'll just kind of run through it again. Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, and it runs through Christmas Day. And the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus. Adventus. And as it was mentioned this morning, that means coming. Coming. So this is a season in which we anticipate a coming, or an arrival, if you will. We look forward to the celebration of Christmas. And we remember... How Jesus, our Savior, humbled himself to be born as a baby and live among the people that he would save. We spend time reminding ourselves that Jesus is the reason for this season that we celebrate. Now, in the Old Testament, 
the nation of Israel also looked forward with great anticipation to the coming of Jesus. You know that? I mean, so we know from history, right, it is a historical fact that Jesus came. But how did they know? How did they know some 700, 800 plus years ago? How did they know what signs to look for? How did they know what to expect? The prophets, right? The prophets, the Old Testament prophets wrote extensively about the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. See, in the Old Testament, they looked forward to experiencing once again the mercy and the grace that God had blessed them with when he led them out of slavery in Egypt. When he provided for them as they wandered in the desert. And eventually, he led them to the promised land. They remembered God's goodness in the past. And they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Now, in the very same way, the church today, during this Advent season, looks back on Christ's first coming. And we celebrate that incredible act of mercy. While at the same time, we look forward with eager anticipation to the second coming. When Christ returns for his people and establishes his eternal kingdom here on earth. So Advent is a celebration of what God has done and what God has yet to do. We remember, yet we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, the return of Christ. Now today, we begin a series of messages in this Advent season I'm calling, Do You See What I See? thought that was kind of a catchy name, right? Yeah, I actually thought about writing a Christmas song, <laughs> but I ran out of time. So maybe next year, maybe next year. But seriously, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ. And in this series of messages, we're going to look at each and every one of them. Are you listening? Certainly we can't look at 300 prophecies. That would take Hours and hours. But we are going to look back at several of them. And we're going to see how they pointed to the birth of Christ and beyond. Now, I believe that we're all probably familiar with the Christmas story that's found in Luke chapter 2. If you've ever watched a Charlie Brown Christmas, you know that Linus recites it pretty much verbatim from the Bible during the Christmas pageant. Now, in that particular story, Luke tells us how the shepherds, right, they were watching their flocks one night, and an angel appeared. And the angel announced the birth of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He told the shepherds exactly where to find the baby, which was in what town? There we go, Bethlehem, right? And then a host of angels joined and praised God, saying, glory to God, and on earth, what? Peace. Peace. 
peace on earth. And friends, that is exactly what Solomon urged the nation of Israel to pray for almost a century before. Today we're going to look back at a psalm written by Solomon that looks forward to that peace on earth. We begin our exploration of Old Testament prophecies by looking at Psalm 72. Psalm 72. So if you want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 72, that's where we're going to live. It's funny because, you know, you hear some rustling of pages, but then you see the glow of, you know, other iPhones and stuff like that. Hopefully you're not checking Facebook. But. <clears throat> now, Psalm 72 appears on the surface to be a prayer for God's righteous king. And, and it is exactly that. But in order to fully understand, we have to look below the surface. We have to do that to see that it is prophetic, and it points to the coming Messiah. It points to Jesus Christ. Now, the psalm encouraged Israel to pray that through the king, God's kingdom of peace might spread to the ends of the earth. And much of the focus of this psalm is on justice, justice. See, there was quite a bit of injustice back in ancient Israel. It wasn't unusual for the needy to be trampled by the wealthy and the powerful. Has anything really changed much? Kind of no. We still see that happening. Solomon begins like this. In verse 1 he says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Now, I want you to notice here that this prayer doesn't simply ask that the king would be just. No, it asks for so much more than that. It actually asks that the king be endowed with the justice and the righteousness of God. Now, we know from previous studies that God is perfectly just and he is perfectly righteous. This prayer asks that he share that justice and righteousness with the new king. So the king is not to rule by human customs, but by God's justice and righteousness. Now, expecting that this blessing that he's asking for will be granted by God, Solomon states his intention. And the intention is to rule and judge God's people according to God's justice and righteousness. Now, in verse 3, it says, May the mountains bring prosperity to the people. And the Hebrew word here that is translated prosperity, it's one that I know that we're familiar with. If you've been with us 
for any length of time, you probably recognize this word because the true Hebrew word is the word shalom. Shalom. And we know shalom to translate to what? Peace. Peace. But see, our English word falls far short of describing shalom. When we say peace, we think in terms of like an absence of conflict. But shalom is, is so much more than that. Shalom speaks to a wholeness. Shalom speaks to a harmony, a total well-being. It speaks to sufficiency. That's the kind of peace and prosperity the nation of Israel prayed for through this psalm for the king. It's only by the power and justice and righteousness of God that the king can defend the poor and the needy. And as verse 4 says, crush those who oppress them. Now the second stanza contains three petitions asking for the king to live forever with flourishing righteousness and shalom, peace. Verse 5, he says, May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. That's a long time, right? Now, in September, the world witnessed the passing of one of the longest reigning monarchs in the British Empire, right? Queen Elizabeth II passed away after 70 years on the throne. And throughout her reign, her loyal subjects would sing, Long live the queen! And the queen did live a long time, right? 96 years. Reigning over the people for 70 of those 96 years. But this prayer, this prayer asked for so much more, so much more, that the king would reign as long as the sun endures, as long as the moon endures, through all generations. And the prayer asks for blessings. It asks for blessings during that reign, basically asking for blessings forever. Like, as he says, rain that waters the earth. And as God sends such a rich blessing, his people, his people, the righteous, will flourish and enjoy, here's that word again, prosperity, shalom, peace. This king's kingdom will be marked by righteousness and peace forever. Now, in a sense, in a sense, this did point to Solomon. Horn, in his commentary, says this. In the kingdom of Solomon, through the influence of his wisdom, good men were encouraged. Righteousness flourished, and the land enjoyed tranquility. So this, in a sense, applies to Solomon. But in a greater sense, friends, it points to Jesus Christ. 
you know, the, reader of, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that our great high priest, Jesus, he is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. That's who Jesus is. The next stanza starts at verse 8. And it looks to that greater king, to a greater reign, far beyond Solomon's. It says, may he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Now, it's really interesting here, friends, that verse 8 is almost identical to the messianic prophecy that we see in Zechariah chapter 9. There, Zechariah writes this, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Almost verbatim what we see in Psalm 72, a prophecy that points to Christ. Zechariah 9 is a messianic prophecy. Psalm 72 is a messianic prophecy. And they, friends, are fulfilled in Jesus' birth, fulfilled in Christ. So Solomon, Solomon is going far beyond his own realm to a vision for this coming son of David, the coming Messiah. And this much-anticipated king would have dominion far greater than Solomon's or David or any other king for that matter. Again, the future king's reign would go to the ends of the earth. And in verse 9, we see that those opposed to this king, his enemies would be defeated, would be brought low, bowing down before him and licking the dust, really echoing the curse of the enemy in Genesis chapter 3. There it's written, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will bow down, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This prayer is a prayer that his enemies and all kings would bow down to him and all nations would serve him. It's exactly what was prophesied by Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7. There he said, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then this next stanza, next couple of verses, describe the compassionate reign of the Messiah King. How justice plays into this. It says, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy 
and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from the oppression and violence, for precious is their blood, their blood in his sight. So this, this, this greater king that Solomon is predicting here will have mercy on the least, the lost, and the broken. The weak and the needy are always at greater risk of oppression by the powerful. He will take pity on and redeem the souls of the poor and the downtrodden. You know, to most, the lives of the weak and needy are really of little value. But to the king, they're precious. They're precious. Again, I ask you, is there still violence and oppression in the world by the powerful? We see it everywhere. Everywhere. But the coming king, friends, the coming Messiah will rule with righteousness and justice and shalom, peace forever, forever. Now, the original psalm ends with the fifth stanza, verses 15 through 17, which is praying for the king, the land, the people, the nations. It says, long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land on the tops of the hills. May it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Friends, these are just incredible words, incredible words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Solomon is, is writing here inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and he writes about this future king. Now, whether, whether Solomon completely understood exactly what he was writing or not, he was pointing to that greater king, the one that would rule forever. As long as the sun endures. And this, this, this perpetuity that he talks about here, it belongs to the one and only true king, Jesus Christ, who is eternal, who was and is and evermore shall be. It speaks of all nations being blessed through him. And that really recalls the promise to Abraham that we see in Genesis chapter 12. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through this great king, God's ancient promise there will come to fulfillment. It will come to fulfillment. So Psalm 72 
encourages God's people to pray that God's kingdom of peace would spread, spread throughout the world. The prayer is to pray for peace. Now, the editor of the psalm added what really is a fitting doxology to the end, verses 18 and 19. It says, Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I want you to notice that the psalm only mentions God twice. It only mentions God twice. The first is in the very first verse, right? Where it says, endow the king with your justice, O God. And now it doubles back at the very end to praise the God of Israel. To praise him because Solomon knows that no other God can do the wondrous things that are described in between. Only he can endow the king with righteousness and justice. Only he can deliver the weak and the needy from the oppression of the powerful. Only he can give the king dominion to the ends of the earth. Only God can bring prosperity, shalom, peace, peace to all the earth forever and ever. And Solomon ends with a prayer that not only would the world be touched by his glory, but that the whole world would be filled with his glory. And verse 20 says, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. This is the end of book two. There's 31 psalms in book two. This is the end of book two. And what this, what this tells us it confirms really that these are indeed prayers and that most of these 31 psalms were written by David, compiled by Solomon. This is the end of book two. So again, friends, Psalm 72 is a prayer for the eternal kingdom of peace through this future king. But you know, the Davidic kings after Solomon were really, by all accounts, failures. They really were. In fact, after the last Davidic king went into the Babylonian exile in 586 B.C., there were no more kings from the house of David. So how could the nation of Israel continue to pray when there was no Davidic king, they prayed for a future king. They prayed for the coming of the Messiah. They prayed for Jesus. And you know, in the New Testament, we read that the angel Gabriel, angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she'd conceive and bear a son and that she was to name him Jesus. And the angel told Mary 
he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? That's echoes of Psalm 72. Jesus began his earthly ministry by proclaiming, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom echoes of Psalm 72. In the synagogue, Jesus read the words of the prophet Isaiah. Luke records it in chapter 4 of his gospel. Jesus read this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A messianic prophecy echoing again the messianic message of Psalm 72. And after Jesus read that, he sat down and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is and was the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. Look, throughout his, his time on earth, Jesus ministered to the blind, right? He ministered to the lame. He ministered to the deaf, the poor, the needy. He brought God's kingdom of justice and peace. He brought it near. But not in perfection and not worldwide. See, the coming of the Messiah, friends, was just a foretaste of the glory that will be at his second coming. The day when we see him face to face, the day when we experience his true presence, the day that he returns for his people and his kingdom is established on the earth forever. Peace, shalom on earth. Do you see what I see? Do you see it? It's right there. Now, until Jesus returns, we anticipate that day, don't we? Until then, we have a job to do. And our job, friends, is to spread that message of hope and peace. The message of hope and peace. The gospel. We spread that not just to Lowell. Not just to Northwest Indiana. But as Jesus instructs us in Acts chapter 1, to the ends of the earth. So in this Advent season... Let's enjoy the excited anticipation we see on the faces of children. It's, it's fun. 
But I pray that that would remind us. It would remind us of the true reason for the season, Jesus. And the anxious anticipation that we should have for the day he returns. And may we pray, as the nation of Israel prayed with Psalm 72, that through Jesus our Lord and Savior, God's kingdom of peace would spread to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus taught us to pray for his coming kingdom when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We should look forward with great anticipation to peace on all the earth. The ascended Lord promised in Revelation 22, yes, I am coming soon. And God's people responded with, amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible season. The season where we remember the birth of Christ. But the season where we also anticipate the day you return to establish your eternal kingdom here on earth. We look forward to that day, Lord. We anticipate it. Yes, you're coming soon. Amen and amen. Even so, now come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.